Please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you're a guest here today, we welcome you. Glad that you're with us. Uh, just a reminder to the church, and this is also an invitation to you as a guest. Uh, this Wednesday night is our Pie and Praise Night. Uh, we do this every year, uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And we have just a time to give thanks unto the Lord, time of testimonies, time of singing, just a time to, to share with the church what the Lord has done in our lives this year, and just to give thanks to the Lord. And uh, it's always a joyful time for me. I enjoy uh, that service uh, because it's good that God's people give thanks unto the Lord. And we ought to, as the Word of God says, with the fruit of our lips, amen. Uh, and we do that. What is the fruit of our lips? We're, we're testifying uh, of the goodness of God. And so it's called Pie and Praise Night because the first part of the service is we're, we're giving praise, we're giving thanks unto the Lord, and then we have time for fellowship and we eat some good food, uh, pies, and other... We also have savory food in there too, so it's not just a straight sugar high uh, for everyone. But you're invited to come to that. It's always a blessing to me. And, and, the, and the, uh, the reminder is for you as church members, uh, come ready. Come ready to give thanks unto the Lord. Bring a testimony with you. Come prepared. Uh, even write something down. Think back over this last year uh, of something the Lord has done in your life or just something that you're very thankful for. And let's share that with one another. It has a way of uplifting and blessing the saints of God and knitting our hearts together in love. And there's no better time to do that than, uh, than right now at Thanksgiving time. Amen. And so that's Wednesday night. And if you're a guest, you're welcome to come be a part of that. We'd love to have you here. If you're a church member, uh, come ready to participate in that service. Don't just be a bystander. Be a participator. Eh? All right? All right, Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to direct your attention to verses 8 through 10. We started in this chapter last week and made note of the fact that Luke 15 has been called the lost and found chapter by many. And the reason it's called that is because the entire chapter is a parable that Jesus gives uh, regarding things that were lost and then great rejoicing when those things are found. And the reason that Jesus gave this parable was because he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were criticizing Jesus because he spent time with what they called publicans and sinners. And those were people that the religious leaders despised. In verse 2 of chapter 15, the Bible says, The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so they, they didn't like Jesus, number one. They despised these other people, thinking that they were better and more spiritual than them in, in some fashion or other. And so because Jesus spent time with them, they murmured against him. And so Jesus gives a parable. And then the Bible says in verse 3 that Jesus spoke this parable unto them, saying... And so the whole chapter is a parable. And a parable, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story that is an illustration of a truth. And so there's a particular truth that Jesus wants to get across, and he uses a story, a parable to illustrate that truth and bring it home to the hearts and minds of people. The parable is divided into three parts. There was the lost sheep, which we considered last week, the lost coin, 
which we're going to consider today, and then what many have called the prodigal son or the, the lost son. And there's actually two, and we'll talk about that uh, when, we, when we get to that portion of it. But all of it was in reference to this particular issue that the scribes and Pharisees murmured against Jesus. And Jesus is going to make a point. And the point that he's making was to try to show God's love for or how God values even just one soul, and how God feels over one sinner that comes to repentance, and that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and all are important to God. And so the primary truth of the parable that Jesus wants to get across is that a lost sinner needs to come to a place of repentance, and God has a heart of love for all men even those that, according to the scribes and Pharisees, were publicans and sinners. So this parable has three parts. It was the sheep, the silver coin that we're going to talk about today, and then the son. We're going to consider each of them, like I said last week, uh, individually. And I want to read verses 8 through 10, because it's the second portion of this parable. And Jesus says here, either what woman... Having ten pieces of silver, if she lost one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, last week, we, as we were introducing all of this, we said that this parable is just one parable, but it's divided into three parts, which I've already said. But there's something that each of these has in common. And what they have in common is that, first of all, something was lost. And secondly, what they have in common is that someone was looking for that which was lost. And the third thing is that that thing was found... And when it was found, there was great rejoicing over the fact that it was found. And it also illustrates for us, in each case, there is value in just one. And these three stories were spoken by Jesus Christ to illustrate how God as the Father, God as the Son, and God as the Holy Spirit receives sinners and companies with them the thing that the Pharisees were murmuring against Him for. And in the first portion of the parable regarding the lost sheep, we find that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, like the shepherd, seeks the lost that he might save them. The second portion regarding the lost coin is the Holy Spirit of God. And like the woman, she seeks the lost thing that she might use it for its particular purpose. And we're going to talk about that today. And then the last, with the lost son, it's God the Father who seeks the lost that he might fellowship with them. Now, this second section about the lost coin, um, it doesn't get a lot of attention. The main focus and the main attention is typically on the lost son, or sons, I should say, and the, the prodigal. And some is on the lost sheep, but this middle one doesn't seem to get a lot of attention. And it, oftentimes it's passed over because the meaning of it and the value of it has not generally been understood. In the first part, we have the love of 
the Son of God, in seeking after the lost. In the last part, we have the love of the Father, who wants to fellowship with his Son. But here, what we have is the love of the Holy Spirit of God in seeking the lost. But the application to this part is also useful for children of God, for the redeemed as well. And I want to make two applications out of it today. What we need to understand, first of all, though, is that the woman here might picture for us the Holy Spirit of God in search of a lost soul. The precious thing that she's looking for, she wants to put to good use, to honorable use, that coin. The coin would represent the human soul. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we begin in this portion, as we start to unpack these verses here, that the woman represents the Holy Spirit of God. She wants to use that coin. The coin represents the human soul. And we're going to make some good application both for the lost today and also for the child of God as well. Okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you'd help us with this passage today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help with clear thinking and, and, and a clear mind today. Lord, that I might be able to expound on the Word of God as you've given it. And Lord, I pray that the truth of this passage would resonate in the hearts of men today. There may be some who are lost today. They've never been saved. They've never been born again, never repented of their sin, put their trust in Christ. And maybe there's some that claim some sort of Christianity, but they don't have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd use your word, Lord, today to impact their life. And Lord, I also pray for the child of God, the one who is saved, but, but, but their life is not being put to use for the purpose that God intends. And Lord, if there's application in their life today, Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to bring about a sweet and tender response to the Spirit of God. Lord, we pray these things that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, notice with me that the silver coin was something that was invaluable. Let's read here again in verse 8. The, Jesus says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? It gives us the idea that even just the one coin, she's got ten of them, but even the one coin is valuable and precious to this woman. Now, we might have, you know, ten pennies in our hand, and we might drop a penny, and we might be like, eh, it's just a penny, right? But if you had ten $100 bills in your hand, and you drop a $100 bill, guess what? You're going to try to find the $100 bill. It's got some value to it, doesn't it? How much more the soul of the souls of men with God Himself. The coin was precious to this woman. It's why she gets so worked up over the fact that she lost one. But what we need to understand is that this coin, even though it's valuable, it actually has no value to it when it's lost. It was good for nothing as long as it's lost. It could not be used for its purpose as long as it's lost. 
It couldn't be used to provide the essentials of life. It was useless as long as it was lost. A a coin sitting in the corner in the dust and in the dirt and in the darkness that nobody knows about is not able to be used for its purpose. Everybody follow that and understand that? That's why it was imperative that this one coin be found. It was just one piece of silver we could say, but it was worth everything to this woman. The silver was out of place, and if it's out of place, it's out of service. It's out of use. So here's the application. The object of this parable is to teach the value of one sinner to the Lord. And like that lost silver, people and souls of men We're not created to live lives of sin and disobedience, but they were created to bring glory to the Lord. A soul was created to be used of God. God made man for one purpose, and that purpose is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Just keep your place here. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. The Bible says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God states that every soul was created for this purpose, to bring glory to God. Did you know that when God made Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, the Bible tells us that God made man in his own image. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and and when we state that, or when the Word of God states that God made man in His image, He's talking about the fact that we're we're three-part beings. God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three separate gods. There's one God, but three particular persons in the Godhead. And we are created as three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. Your body is not who you are. Your soul is who you are. Your soul is your personality. Your soul is the way that you think. Your soul is the real you. Your soul is eternal. We're created body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit is our God conscious. Our spirit is is what is inside of us that instinctually knows that God exists. It's our ability to communicate with God through our spirit. Our soul and spirit are eternal and they're also inseparable. These two are, they're not the same things, but they're tied together. Your body is just the house that your soul lives in. And one day you're moving out of the house. One day you're going to die, and your soul and spirit, the real you, is going to leave this physical body, but it will never die. Your soul and spirit is eternal. We are made three-part beings. We're made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea, and so on. And, and so mankind is unique in that he is in the image of God, God's highest creation. God made us three-part beings. We're not animals, like the world likes to say. We don't come from monkeys. We don't come from some primordial soup of the sea. 
Uh, God made us unique in that we have an eternal soul. And so the point I'm making here is that when, when God created man, He created man for one purpose, to bring glory to Him. He created us in our image. He made man for fellowship with Himself. In fact, we see some of that in Genesis chapter 3, relating to Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 and verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now in context here, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. Before they sinned, they had fellowship with God. Before they sinned, they had communion with God, and God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, and after they sinned, they understood that something was wrong, and they wanted to hide themselves from the presence of God. When man sinned, the Bible tells us that he became a lost soul, and his sin separated him from the presence of God. In verse 23 of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. They were kicked out of the garden of Eden from the presence of God because of their sin. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 2, the Bible says, But your iniquities, that's your sin, that's the violation, the breaking of God's law, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. What is it that keeps man from having fellowship with God? It's sin. It's our sin. And when mankind sinned, there was a separation that took place. And that, that thing that is in between, that wall that keeps the, the fellowship from happening, is, this, is, the, is the violation of God's law. It's our sin. God didn't create man to live a life of sin. God created man for His glory. God created man to have fellowship with Him. And the Bible tells us that it grieves the heart of God that there isn't fellowship with mankind. And what I'm saying here, and the point that I'm making, is that in this parable that Jesus gives with this lost coin, it's showing the value of, a, of one human soul, that God desires to use it, but He can't use it when it's lost. In a life that is lived for the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing, but a lost life is of no value at all to God. But when that life is found, when that life is restored to a, a rightful place by the power of God, that life can be all that God has designed it for in the first place. You know, go to Romans chapter 3, and I want you to, I want you to see this concerning mankind. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, the Bible says, As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. All right? So all men are sinners. There's not one that is righteous. There's not one, according to the next verse, there is none that understandeth. 
There is none that seeketh after God. All right, so mankind, we're not righteous. There's not one. There's none that doeth good. Uh, we don't understand. There's none that seeks after God. And notice verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And when the Bible says that mankind, they are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. That word unprofitable, it means to render useless. That is the condition of mankind. As we come into this world, we're born sinners. Our sin nature has separated us from God. We can't fulfill the purpose even for which we are created. We are rendered useless in our sinful state. And for this woman in our text, she feels so strongly about this one that her life cannot be complete until she found the coin that was lost. Go back to Luke chapter 15, and I just want you to see it again, what she, and we're going to break this down a little bit more, but it gives us the heart that she has, the value of this one. She says, it says in verse 8 that she had 10 pieces of silver. She lost one piece. And notice this. Doesn't she, it says, Doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. It shows us the heart and the value of even this one. And I would say to you, it spells out for us the heart of God toward mankind. This woman's life was not complete until she had found the coin that was lost. It filled an important place. Now, let me just say to you, God Himself is complete with or without you and me. He is. But let me tell you this also. When we are saved by His grace, when our life is transformed, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, when we're able to be used for His glory, we serve the function of being used by the Lord in bringing glory to His name, and we fill the purpose for which we are created. God wants to use your life and mine. But a life that is lost is rendered useless to the Lord. And yet, it shows how valuable one's soul is to the Lord. Oh, there's 8 billion people. I've got enough. I can use, someone might say. But not God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You might be here today, and you might think that your life is to be lived according to how you speak it. You might have aspirations and plans, and I've got this laid out, and I've got that laid out, and I'm going to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to accomplish this in my life, and I want to go here, and I want to do that. And you've got your life all laid out for you. My friend, you could try and fulfill every one of those desires in your life, and you will never be fulfilled. It will not bring fulfillment to your soul. Because you are not created to live life for you. You're created to live life for the glory of God. And a lost life, an unsaved life, is of no use to the Lord. But He loves you, and you're important to Him, and He wants to use your life for His glory, and it shows us the heart of God even for one soul. She diligently sought after it. 
Let's look at that search because the search we find secondly here, not only was that silver invaluable to her, but we also note that the search was intense. Notice this. The Bible says in verse 8 that she had lost that one piece. And notice what she did. Doesn't she, she says, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. You know what? She didn't give a haphazard glance over search. Ah, can't find it. Oh, well. The Bible says that she lit a candle so she could see in all the dark places. The Bible says that she swept the house and her search was diligent. When this woman realized that the coin was lost, the Bible tells us that she sprang into action so that that lost thing could be restored. She lights a candle. She begins to move things around in the house. She sweeps the dust and the dirt in search of that lost one until she found the coin. And the Bible indicates to us that she had a will, a desire, a determination to find it. And she was willing to work, to put in the effort until she found it. And in the end, when she found it, she won. That coin it was lost. The Bible says that she lit a candle. Why would she light a candle? There's dark places. The coin was lost in the darkness. The Bible says that she swept the house. Why would she sweep the house? Because there's dirt and there's dust. And she needs to make sure that the dirt and the dust is gone. Because when the coin was lost, it couldn't be used. And what a picture that coin becomes of men who don't know the Lord. Did you know that in our lost condition, we are lost in the darkness? Men are lost in darkness. A person might be brilliant intellectually. A person might be mo the most uh, intelligent person that's ever lived. But spiritually speaking, every man is in darkness. We're all blind. It's like we live in total darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, note this, 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says in, in chapter 4 and verse 4, In whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And why did he do that? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Do you know in our lost state that our, our spiritual mind, our spiritual understanding is in darkness? What do we mean by that? Well, I mean this. Some people could be sitting in this room today, and you're not, you're not a saved person, but you are completely unaware to the, to the real danger that your soul is in of the judgment of God. You can't see it. You can't see the fact that, you know, you, you could die today and you could go right to the flames of hell for all eternity and you can sit there without being moved, without being stirred, without being fearful even in your soul of the reality of the situation that you're in. Your mind is blind. can't see it. Because I guarantee you that anybody who is in actual physical danger and you're aware of that physical danger, you're not staying in the same condition. The God of this world has blinded the minds that believe not, lest the light of the gospel should shine in unto them.
In our sinful state, we are lost in the black darkness of spiritual ignorance. Men don't understand their condition before God. Sometimes they don't know what they need until they are sought after by the Lord. Aren't you glad that the Lord sought after your soul? Amen? Ephesians 2.1 says that you're dead in trespasses and sins. But God has quickened you or made you alive. We didn't, you didn't do that of your own accord. You didn't seek after God. God was seeking after your soul. And God opens up our spiritual understanding to our spiritual condition and draws men to Himself because we're lost in darkness. Men are also lost in the dirt, metaphorically speaking. When a coin in that day was minted or made, that coin was stamped with an image. And the coin was stamped with the image of the Caesar or the one who was in power, the one who was the ruler. When that coin in our parable was lost in the dirt and covered in the dirt, the image of the ruler on that coin would have been hidden. You couldn't see who it belonged to. But so it is with lost people. We're made in the image of God, but that image is marred by sin. That image, that, that coin needs to be cleaned so that the image of the Lord might be restored. And that's a great illustration of what needs to happen in the heart and the soul of men. We're in the dirt, in the dust of sin, and we're, the image of God certainly cannot be seen. We need to be made brand new and have a new life, and we're washed and we're cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're made into the image of God. You might think that you look all fine, that you're presentable. But the Bible says that lost people don't even understand how poor and wretched and blind and naked we really are. The Bible says of people that we cannot even see the putridness of our own sores spiritually speaking. And what we think looks good or presentable toward men, that is not how God sees our soul. Man needs someone to reach down into the dirt of his life and pick him up and clean him off. That's you and me. We need Jesus Christ and when we are in that condition, just like that lost coin was unusable, so is your life. It needs to be restored. It needs to be made new before it can be used for the glory of God. There's another application that I want to make here. And I said we were going to make two. Those who are lost, but there's also good application that can be made here for even the child of God. And I want you to go back to Luke chapter 15, because again, this parable is about the value of even one lost soul, and we don't want to 
lose that. But I do want to make an application with this because uh, I'm not changing the, the focus of the application, but I want to point out something particular. The Bible says here that the woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. I want you to note that this silver coin was lost in the house. It wasn't like the sheep that we considered last week that went far away from home and the shepherd had to go out and find the one. This was in the house, but it was as utterly useless as if it had been thrown into the depths of the sea. And the application that I want to make here is this. It's possible to be in the house of God, a place of salvation, a place of safety, a place of privilege, and still be just as lost as can be. A person can be saved, even, and a person can be a member of a New Testament church, and yet a person can be lost to the management and the use of the Holy Spirit of God. So here's the two applications. A person can be in a church and still be just as lost as if they went uh, far, far away. A person also, the second application, is a person can actually be a born-again Christian, but they have been lost to the use of the Holy Spirit of God because their flesh is controlling their life. You know what? You might have sin in your life. You might have attitudes of the heart that aren't right. You might be, have a worldly mindset about you. You might have some selfish ambitions. You might have a loss of love for God. And, and, and when all of these things are controlling a person's life, you are absolutely useless to the Lord. And what we need is the spotlight of God's Word. And we need the sweeping of the Holy Spirit of God to get rid of the dirt and the dust, to stir things up so that we can be used again. Listen, it's one thing to be saved and, it's to, and to be justified by faith before God, but it's quite another thing to be ready for the service of the Lord, to be able to be in the hand of God, to be used of God through the Holy Spirit. And let me say something else to you. There might be people who are saved in this world uh, and they think that they love God and they want to serve God, but they're not part of a New Testament church. You know what, friend? You cannot serve God and you cannot be useful to the Lord like God wants you to be when you are outside of the place that God has designed for service and glory to Him. It's true. We're not all individuals, uh, islands unto ourselves. Uh, we're not to be rogue in our... Uh, in our, our thinking and our service, people's like, I'm just out serving God. I was telling our Sunday school class this morning that the other day I was having to jumpstart uh, uh, one of our vehicles. It, we were, or my wife and daughter were at the post office and Jovi had turned the key to auxiliary so that she could you know, listen to her things or whatever it was while my wife was gone. And when she came back, she went to start the car and it was dead. I was at work, she gives me a call, I just was getting off of work, and she's like, hey, can you come over and jumpstart the car? So I had to drive across town over to the post office, and I'm digging around for the jumper cables in the you know, emergency kit and so on, and, and, and this guy comes up and he's like, hey, you need some jumper cables? And I was like, oh, I got them here somewhere. And he's like, well, I got mine handy right here. And he's being a nice guy, so I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And so we opened up the hood, and he opened up his hood, and I'll just, I have the guy for a second for you. 
he kind of had this long, scraggly hair going on, but he had a beanie, so it was all kind of put up in there. Wasn't sure what was going on in all of those tangles. He had this kind of scruffy beard going on. It was like he was a super nice guy, uh, and he just wanted to help. So I was just like, okay, you know, just let him help. And so we open up the hood, and he opens up his Subaru. Just to leave that one alone, but <clears throat> I'm not a Subaru fan, just in case anybody knows. It's not the point. Stop. Quit distracting me. And we hook up the cables and this and that, and we're just kind of chatting. And it's like he just came up from Arizona, and he's on a he's on a mission, he says, and and this kind of thing. And, and I was just like, oh, okay, you know. And and we start the car up, and we're taking all this down. And I'm still kind of chatting with him, and he looks at me, and goes, you know, Jesus loves you, right? And I said, yes, I do. In fact, I'm a born-again believer. And he's like, oh, all right, man, yeah. I'm a born-again believer, too, is kind of how he says it. And then he goes, and he says to me, he goes, but you know what? I'm not just a believer. I'm a follower. I'm like, oh, you mean you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? And he's like, yeah, I'm a disciple. And he's kind of got this attitude to him. And, And there were two things that happened in my soul immediately. Number one, I was like, friend, I wish you knew a little bit more about the scriptures and I wish you knew a little bit more about the doctrine so that you really could serve God. But then the second thing that happened in my soul was immediately I was convicted because you know what? He said something to me first about Jesus Christ before I had ever said anything to him. I was like, you know what? In my mind, I'm thinking... Why don't God's people have that kind of passion for serving the Lord and have that kind of a spirit about them that my purpose is a mission? My purpose is a mission to serve Christ and to tell other people about Jesus Christ, to give glory to God. That's why I live. Why don't God's people have that? We're too concerned about making ourselves comfortable in this life and having our fun, and having our entertainments, and having our possessions, and having all these things, and we like lose sight of the reason for which I exist. It's to give glory to God, to serve Him. And I asked that guy, I said, do you have a church that you're tied to? And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to this church in town here, and I was just playing the bass this last Sunday and serving the Lord and doing those. He said his things. But I said that to say this. There are people who are saved in this world, but they're not tied to a scriptural New Testament church. And they might have a heart to love God and serve God, but you can't possibly serve God to the full potential or the way that He wants you to if you're not tied to the organization or to the body through which He has ordained service and how He receives glory. In other words, if you're a born-again believer, you need to be baptized and you need to be a member of the Lord's church. That's what you need. Plain and simple, if you're going to serve God. That's how your life is useful and brings glory to God. On the other hand, you could be part of a New Testament church, but you could be just as lost as the sheep that was far away. Your soul is still valuable to the Lord too. And He's seeking 
to find you. And like I said, it's one thing to be saved by grace through faith. It's quite another to actually be in the hand of God to be ready to be used for your purpose. That requires you to submit your will to the, to the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 tells us to grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And we can do that in our life. Lastly, I want you to look back one more time to Luke chapter 15. And I want you to see the success and the joy. In verse 9, the Bible says, And when she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which, was, which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. When this woman found that coin, she retrieved it, she restored it to its proper place so that it could be used. And just like that coin could not lift itself out of the darkness, the coin could not lift itself out of the dirt, the coin could not put itself to use in its condition, neither can a lost person deliver himself from his own darkness or from the dirt of his own life. But when the Lord comes along, and the Lord is the one who finds that lost sinner, listen, we're released from that place of darkness, the dirt is removed and gone, and we're redeemed by the blood of Christ to be able to be used of the Lord. There was cause for rejoicing. She called her friends. She called the neighbors together. And she said, rejoice with me. I found the coin that was lost. What a happy day for that woman. And Jesus says, likewise. Likewise. Just like that. He says, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that comes to repentance. We're told that there's rejoicing in heaven over a sinner that repents. Did you know that the Bible tells us that heaven gets excited over a lost soul that comes to a place of repentance? That's awesome. I think there are times when God's people are so dead inside that we can't even rejoice over the fact that God is working in someone's life. We see somebody saved, the baptistry waters are stirred, and God's people sit there like, why is that God does something through one of our missionaries souls are being saved a church is being established the work of God is moving forward God's people have no heart I'm not saying that's you in particular maybe it is I'm not making any judgments about anyone we're just saying it's Common. Commonplace. And we ought to be rejoicing. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me over what God is doing and how God has saved a soul. Heaven itself gets excited because something of value was lost and now it's been restored. God is glorified in that. God is glorified when a soul is redeemed. It's no longer under the judgment of God. 
that which was unusable is now usable and available for the master's use. That which was ugly with sin has been made new and made clean by the grace of God. It's a glorious day when a lost person is saved by the grace of God. There is nothing that honors God more than a soul that's been redeemed. Aren't you glad that your soul was redeemed? Wasn't it a joyful day when you came to know Jesus Christ? And the burden of sin was gone? Should we not rejoice with others when God does the same thing? Because I can relate. There's a final word in this. It's that God is interested in the things that other people think are worthless. The Pharisees and the publicans, they murmured against Jesus because He eats with publicans and sinners. You see that? You notice that? God is interested in what others find to be worthless. He doesn't care even what you may think your own worth is. He doesn't care what others think about your worth. Your soul is valuable to Him. And He looks at you and He looks at me through eyes of love and grace and He sees something of value. Somebody might have completely wrecked and destroyed their life physically. But God's able to take all of that mess. With a repentant heart, God is able to take all of that mess and transform it and make it something brand new and something of value and useful to Him. Maybe you're like that coin, lost in the darkness and in the dirt, not able to be used because of sin. The Lord is trying to draw you to Himself today. He's looking for you. You might even be a member of Black Road Baptist Church and you're in the house, but you're lost. You need to come to the Lord today. And you might be one who is a born-again believer, but you've not been very useful to the Lord because other things have priority in your life. As God speaks, as the Spirit of God speaks, and as He's used His Word, today is an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. However He has spoken to your soul. But let's respond, amen, with one of submission to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you'd use it. Pray for the lost soul today, that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would be bringing conviction to their heart. And Lord, I pray that they would humble themselves and respond to you. Lord, I pray for the child of God, that we'd examine our own hearts and our lives. Are, are, am I useful? Am I really useful to the Lord like He wants? Maybe, and not my version of it, but your version of it. And Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive what it is that you've designed for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.